It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Podcast Network, I'm Dana Perino, and everything will be okay. Welcome back to another episode of Everything Will Be Okay. This week, I'm joined by two guests who are living proof that women can have dirty jobs, too. I'm excited for you to meet Chloe Hudson and Tracy Wilson. They are two recipients of the Micro Works Work Ethics Scholarship, And I'm excited to bring this podcast to you. I wanted to do it last year. It didn't work out. But this year, I think that we outdid ourselves. Both of these women, under the most likely of circumstances, found themselves working, as Mike Rowe likes to say, some of the dirtiest jobs. They do this with pride and dignity and grace and gumption. They are strong, tenacious, independent, and hardworking. Let's hear a little more about their unique and very inspiring journeys. Chloe and Tracy, let's just jump right in. I'd like to give our listeners some background on both of you. So starting with you, Chloe, tell me a little bit about uh, where you grew up, your upbringing, your um, hopes and dreams as a kid and what you thought you would do in your future. Oh, Lord. Um, So (laughs) I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. So Fulton County, Georgia, uh, Piedmont. So we were smack dab in the middle of downtown and um, the crime rate was, was continuing to elevate. We, even though we lived in a kind of a suburb of downtown, um, my parents kind of saw the writing on the wall and uh, for sixth grade, we moved to rural South Carolina. So it was definitely a culture shock by <laughs> any stretch of the imagination. But um, so there, I definitely got exposed to a lot of different things. It was mostly manufacturing. Uh, a lot of rural areas are, you know, predominantly manufacturing driven. So that's kind of the uh, the the tone of school was very much to make people who are good at those types of jobs. So it's a, a little bit different for me. I definitely think that uh, it wasn't quite looked down upon as, as some areas do, especially things that are more in metropolis areas. Uh, and even that being said, I still wanted to be a plastic surgeon. I'd always wanted to be in the medical field. Um, and, uh, a plastic surgery and reconstructive plastic surgery really piqued my interest because my grandmother had, uh, cancer melanoma on her face and the reconstruction that was done, I felt like was just such a disservice to somebody, especially for somebody who had beaten cancer. Mm. And then, um, my dad got diagnosed with a melanoma on his face and kind of the same thing. And I felt like I could really with kind of the art background I had and uh, I, I was really into drawing like pinup girls and nose art from World War II airplanes. Uh, I felt like I kind of had a, an eye for that sort of thing. So I really was interested in the medical field and I signed up for the Platinum Seal, um, which was pretty much just how you were segregated for school, uh, for classes based off of what your uh, goals were in college. So you could earn your Platinum Seal in whatever your desired a subject was. So I earned mine in three years instead of four um, in health sciences. I took every course that you could take in science, anatomy, AP bio, college courses, nursing, anything you could think of. And uh, uh, senior year, 
they wouldn't let you just not go to school. And I couldn't <laughs> apply for a nursing program until I turned 18. Um, so I had to fill it and I filled it with a uh, gym class and that still wasn't enough. <laughs> um, so I took a, a, a look at our vocational schools and their auto mechanics class was full. So uh, BMW is a major manufacturer in our area. And so that was kind of a class that was always full all the time. So I had a, a really crappy 1998 Jeep Cherokee and all my guy friends kind of already knew how to work on them. And I figured I might as well do something to kind of contribute to our hobbies. And I was like, well, welding's the next step. And, you know, none of us really know how to weld. So I signed up for that class and I ended up really loving it. I had a great teacher, Scott Hightower, really believed in what I was doing. You know, any kind of question I had, he really pushed me to kind of consider it as a career, but I had already kind of made my mind up. And so I graduated high school and went immediately the next Monday and started a nursing program so I could work as a nurse while I was doing, um, uh, getting my four years for, before pre-med to do medical school. And I had all, I had this massive plan of going to UK because that's where my parents were alumni from and, uh, EKU. And I tell this whole thing, this whole plan. And, <laughs> Uh, a couple weeks into uh, clinicals, and I did clinicals at the VA, and it was a nightmare. It was like the, the way people were treated. I, especially as an 18 year old, you don't really have the scope of mm -hmm. understanding that, you know, this isn't how everything is. But in your 18 year old mind, you're like, oh my God, I can't do this for 10 years. You know, I can't specialize. And then, yeah. and then on top of that, you know, I didn't come from a very wealthy family. So the idea that I was going to go a hundred thousand plus in debt for this. And, you know, it's like, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't see myself doing it. And so I started a job in nuclear maintenance and in the process of that, I went back to school, uh, about half a semester in, I decided I really needed to focus on making money so I could pay for school out of pocket and worked in nuclear maintenance for a few years. And you kind of get complacent. And I realized I was never going to make enough money to provide for myself. And at the time, I did have to kind of pick up the slack and provide for my family. And um, I, you know, you notice all the guys on, on site and they've got the new trucks and the nice clean mm -hmm. you, uh, clothes. And you're like, what do these people do? They're not crawling under tanks and they don't got the crappy jobs. Like, what do they do? And it was all craft guys, you know, they could demand a premium for their, their trade and their skills. And, you know, I was like, well, you know what? I, I got to reevaluate my situation. And I'd actually applied for a job in the aerospace uh, sector and they told me I was a jack of all trades and a master of none. And that when, you know, when I mastered something, then maybe I could come back and they'd consider me. And so I really buckled down and decided that welding was going to be my focus. It didn't matter what people thought. It didn't matter opinions. You know, I, I had a lot of backlash, especially in my family. They didn't understand why I was doing what I was doing. And, you know, back then, Lord, you didn't have a, a feminine anything in that field. You, you know, good luck even finding one on on in school's campus. And ironically enough, actually, my first day of school, I went down and uh, walked down to the lab, and they asked me if I was lost. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. wow, but, wow, yeah. Because they're like, you're not, you're not supposed to be down here. Like, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, I, I, I went, I had two jobs and I managed a school schedule and 
I was working seven days a week, school five days a week, and ended up graduating uh, cum laude um, and won the uh, state uh, skills USA. And I was the first woman in state history and the first woman in school history and the only woman who had ever won that uh, particular skill, which was three inch stainless pipe. And uh, I think I'm the only one since. So that's pretty neat. <laughs> but yeah, I'm one ever since. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this interview after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. You raised some questions that I want to ask, um, but because I, I have a feeling that Tracy might be in, the, in a similar boat in regards to when you think about your career and your next step. And this was even true for me um, about what the worry that especially women have, I think, maybe not just women, but women probably more than men, about what other people are going to think about decisions you're making, big decisions in your life that you're making. And Tracy, right. do you mind walking us through your uh, journey? Um just you know, where you grew up, how you were raised, and what you thought you would want to do? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I was born and raised in Reading, Pennsylvania. I was actually born in Reading. Uh, only lived there nine months of my life. So obviously there's no memory there of that. Uh, we moved to Exeter, Pennsylvania. That's where I was raised. Uh, that's where I grew up. And I still have friends from back then that I'm, I still talk to. We're still in contact with and everything, which is pretty cool. So made some lifelong friends from uh, running around the neighborhood as a kid, climbing trees and playing football and doing all that fun stuff. So I was always active, loved to be outside. Um, it was pretty hard to get me indoors, mm-hmm. <laughs> which both of my parents can attest to. Uh, but the one, I guess, the one thing that I did like doing inside was I would kind of doodle around at my dad's workshop so he had tools he had power tools um and uh i remember and i never took a picture of it i wish i did but i remember hooking up a circuit one day of uh there's a light switch a fan i had a nine nine volt battery maybe maybe it was 12 somehow i didn't shock myself i had no clue what i was doing (laughs) uh but i had hooked up all these gizmos together hooked up the wires, flicked the light switch, the fan came on, the light bulb came on, and everything else started, you know, doing what it was supposed to do. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I was always outside, um, either outside or in the workshop, you know, kind of doing those kind of things, whatever I could get my hands on, whatever was hands on, whatever I could play with, take apart, uh, destroy, put back together. That's what I was really into. And, uh, that lasted that lasted for a little while um i don't really remember uh anyone around me saying hey you're really good at this you should go into this field so maybe they did i don't remember i was pretty little um but anyway i went on to i was homeschooled from uh kindergarten to 10th grade and then 10th grade went out to school. That was a little bit of a culture shock. I bet. <laughs> yeah, just a little. I liked my freedom. I liked getting my schoolwork done in the morning and then I could play all day. And at school, like regular school, there's a bell and there's limited lunchtime and limited this and limited that. And I was not a fan. Um, <laughs> so thank goodness I only had two years to finish. 
but uh the i guess the the main thing i heard in high school was four year college what are you going to college for i don't know i'm not college material and that wasn't the cool thing to say at that point so this was around like 1999 i graduated in 2001 and everybody else in my class was going to college. They were going on to something. And I, I wasn't interested. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So trade school wasn't being talked about. None of that stuff was being talked about. And I actually had some health problems. I had a stroke and open heart surgery my senior year of high school. So wow. that kind of messed things up. Wow. Yeah. Was, that um, something, yeah. was that something sort of genetic or was it random? No, it was totally random. Oh. I had a blood clot that started somewhere. The doctors are guessing it started somewhere in my leg, traveled up, went through a hole in my heart that they found when they were doing all the testing after I was in the hospital for the stroke. And they said they had a couple fixes that I wasn't interested in. One of them sounded permanent. One of them had a bit of maintenance involved. And one doctor said, hey, why don't we do open heart surgery? And the rest of the doctors were like, no, that's way too drastic. And I was like, yeah, do that because I have plans. I want to have a family and I want to do all that stuff. So the short version is they went in to do the surgery. The one side of the hole was about the size of a pinhole. And the other side was about the size of a half dollar. So, yeah, (laughs) Uh, the surgeon said, I don't know how you're alive in my 35 years, I have never seen anything like this, and mm. I don't know how you were still walking. So, obviously, God had a plan. He was like, nope, I want this one still mm-hmm. on earth. She's got <laughs> stuff to do. So, mm-hmm. um, But uh, anyway, getting back to growing up and everything. So, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and I thought, that's what I should do. So, in trying to figure everything out, I was like, okay, I want to be a stay-at-home mom. Nothing wrong with that, but... Anything can happen after you have a family. And I had no backup plan, which ended up smacking me in the face after I got married pretty young. I was 19 and uh, got married, had two kids right away. And uh, I was doing the mom thing. I loved hanging out with my kids, play cars, Nerf guns, go to the park, playing football. We're doing all kinds of cool things and absolutely love that. And then family life fell apart after 10 years hmm. and uh not I unusual had, i mean you're not alone right i'm one of many unfortunately mm-hmm. and yeah. uh well maybe not unfortunately because it there's there's good in everything if you look for it uh the bad always seems to be obvious but uh there's sunlight in just about everything and uh but i was stuck with i had a, a high school diploma and nowhere to go. I didn't know what to do. So I looked everywhere for anything that would pay me any amount of money to do anything because anything was better than zero, which was my income at the time. And I started cleaning houses. And I did that for about seven years. I worked for a small company, eventually moved out onto my own and had my own cleaning business. And I thought, you know, it was um, hauling my vacuum and my cleaning bucket out of my the trunk of my car. <laughs> I was like, man, one day I want to retire and I want all my joints to still work. And I don't think it's going to happen if I'm cleaning houses. And good help was hard to find. So I had 
a work ethic and I had a standard of cleaning that um, it needed to be met so I could keep clients and gain more clients and grow my business. And I didn't see that happening. And I said, I had life at home again, fell apart. So this was round two. And I was like, Oh my word, you know, this is ridiculous. I, I had stayed in a bad relationship because of finances. And I said, this is ridiculous. I never, ever want to be financially stuck in a relationship ever again. Right. I have got to learn how to do something. And I went back to my time goofing off in my, I guess I wasn't goofing off. I was practicing <laughs> uh, for what I didn't know my future was going to be at the time. But I went back to those days in my dad's workshop, hooking up wires and random things and taking things apart and all that stuff. And I said, I'm going to go to school uh to be an electrician so i had seen a commercial for the school that i went to york technical institute up in pennsylvania and uh, i was like wow in nine months i could be headed somewhere you know maybe not making the type of money that i wanted to make because i have some larger than life goals for myself and uh i said but i'd be headed somewhere so went to the school angie was my tour guide she took me around and we walked into the uh, electrician room and, you know, there's holes in the walls, there's switches, there's outlets and all that kind of stuff. And I just wasn't feeling it. So apparently I was wearing that on my face. <laughs> so Angie looks at me and she goes, you're not feeling this, are you? And I was like, no, she's like, walk this way, follow me. So we walk into the electronics engineering wing and oh my word, there's PLCs and there's lights and switches and wires all over the place. And I was like, yes. This is it. Mm, so then you knew I had. Yeah, um, I had at that point, I had enough money, me enough money in my checking account to basically get through the weekend. Wow. So everything was really, really tight. I had about twenty five dollars mm. and we still had to eat and I still had to put gas in the car. So I was rationing out my money mm. and the application fee for school, I think, was about twenty bucks. And but I had to do something. So I did. I signed up for classes and just about spent my last 25 bucks. <laughs> so I had $5 left over and I was like, okay, God, you're in the miracle business. So you're going to have to do something this weekend. I have $5 and two kids and three days to get through till my next paycheck. And I signed up for classes that day. I remember filling out the paperwork and saying, okay, I'm, I was going through my work schedule and trying to figure out where to put houses, where to move houses I was cleaning. And I lived an hour away from school. So mm. I had to figure that time into it too. So I had three hours every day to clean whatever house I was cleaning. Didn't matter how big it was. Didn't matter how far away it was. I had three hours because I had to get to school on time. So I learned to move really fast, but not sacrifice the quality of work that got me those houses in the first place. So it was quite the balancing act. <laughs> Cleaning in the morning, I'd pack up all my stuff for the day, my laptop, my everything I needed for school, all my cleaning stuff, change of clothes. The school had a dress, uh, dress code. Uh, my lunch, I like to eat, so plenty of snacks and all that stuff. And uh, balancing that with single parenting, two teenagers at the time, and all of that, all of that combined, plus trying to maintain some sort of 
sanity mm-hmm. <laughs> and all that. So, and, yeah. And we're going to get to the how we're going to get to the end of the story. Well, the end of the story so far um, in, yeah. in a moment, because I think that gives people a really good understanding of just one. I think you're not alone. Right. A lot of people have gone right. through these things. are not exactly sure what to do. But then, Chloe, tell me about how you, how did you end up applying for and winning one of the micro uh, foundation scholarships and what did that mean um, to you like, I, like how did that, how did that all work and what was it like when you finally got to meet him because he's quite an inspirational guy yeah uh yeah so i um in in my life i uh i, I never had a traditional supporting role i had great great dad great parents great family but financially speaking i just they they didn't have it right. and um so i i really had to a very clear understanding that if I was going to do something, I had to do it for myself. Um, I decided that, you know, working was a priority. And in the process, my dad um, had kind of overheard because he watched, he was a big fan of micro and all the shows that he had. And when micro announced that he was taking scholarship applications, um, I actually came home at 1130 at night. And my dad would save like a gold rush or something on history channel. And we would watch it together before I'd go to bed. Cause it's the only time I'd see my family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the, he, he was like, you know, I know you're going back to school. You should think about doing this. Cause I had just done summer semester and pretty much just exhausted myself in the process. And he's like, you know, you really think about it. And to be completely honest at the time, you know, I didn't think that I was going to have time. The micro works scholarship is very labor intensive and it should be because, you know, what they do is, is something that is life changing and it was essays and it was long form questions and answers. And I, um, I had to get references from people on site and, you know, I was very much a wallflower at the time. So, you know, asking for any help from anyone was something that was very difficult for me to do, let alone if it was a requirement. And uh, luckily in the process of working, I had some great people who were willing to help me. And um, it, it was one of those things where you had no expectation. Cause at the time I just, I had never even in a, in a million years thought I could even be an option for that kind of thing, but you do it and you, and you do it and you get it done. And then it's like, you're so busy, you move on. And mm-hmm. then I kind of got a word back that I got it. And I was, I could not believe it. I could not believe it. I was working at Borg Warner, uh, doing transfer cases and, uh, on night shift. And I it was sleeping in my car. Like I would go to school, sleep in my car during lunch, go to the second half of school and then go to work. Wow. And I was like, I don't have to, I don't have to do that anymore. I was like, no way. <laughs> and so I, I had the luxury of kind of whittling it down to my, um, uh, doctor's office job. My sister got me a job working in her doctor's office that she managed and, uh, doing uh, paperwork and billing. And, uh, I kind of got to have just a normal schedule. It's still seven days a week, but it was normal. So it was massive. It was, ma- it was life changing for me. Cause mm. it's, it's the only reason why I really got to for that semester, actually focus on the competition that I ended up winning was because of the luxury it was provided to me by the scholarship. And, um, yeah, I I mean, it's, it definitely changed the course for me. And I knew that the only way I would be taken serious in my trade was to acquire as many accolades in the process as possible. So, you know, winning that scholarship, getting as many certifications prior to graduation, uh, all those things were so crucial for the success 
yeah. for my success. And I knew it because I had worked in the industry. I knew what people said behind closed doors. I knew how supervisors felt, you know, the, the welding supervisor, a, a job site I was working at and said adamantly, he would never have a woman work for him. And so I knew I had to come with everything on my tool belt possible. And so after the application process and figuring out that they were going to give me enough to pay for an entire semester, it, it really kind of changed the course of action for me because I really got to buckle down and focus and, it was, yeah, I, I don't That's even know if you understand how, yeah, how life-changing it is. But well, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that you're describing it very well. And Tracy, before we get your story on that, I just want to read a couple of these um, pledges. So for the Micro Dirty Jobs Scholarship, um, there are, it's the sweat pledge. There's four pillars of these pledges. And I just want to read a couple of them because I feel like you've already touched on them a little bit. And then Tracy will get you to react. Um the first one I liked was pledge number two. It says, I believe that I am entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, nothing more. I also understand that happiness and the pursuit of happiness are not the same thing. And then pledge number nine, I believe that my education is my responsibility and absolutely critical to my success. I am resolved to learn as much as I can from whatever source is available to me. I will never stop learning and understand that library cards are free. Tracy, tell us more about your story of how you found Mike Rowe and that what that led to in terms of what you do today. So, like the rest of America, <laughs> I was a fan of Dirty Jobs and uh, watched it with my kids all the time. Uh, Mike just seemed real. I remember thinking that this is one of the few people who I think are genuine on TV. You know, just kind of wondered, like everyone else, I wonder what he's like a person or whatever. So, you know, listen to him narrate uh, Deadliest Catch and some other things on the History Channel and things like that. And uh, so when I had gone to school, uh, a very good friend of mine, I call her my best friend, Linda, said, she was like, dude, you got to do this, the micro scholarship. And she's like, you have to apply for it. I'm like, man, that sounds awesome. So by the time I had started school, it was July 2018 the scholarship program had already long been closed. So I thought, okay, next year I'll give this a shot. And it just so happened at school, they were also promoting it. So the student services director was, you know, he was hanging posters everywhere. He was telling all the kids about it. And I said, you know, if I try, I'm giving myself a chance. If I don't do it, that's an automatic no. And I don't like that. So, uh, so I went for it and I applied. And just like Chloe said, it is, very labor intensive as it should be. It's a work ethic scholarship. It's you're supposed to have to do something to get it. You got to sweat a little bit. You have to put some work into it. And it was a lot. I worked on that thing for three solid weeks, like not slacking off and getting references. And I made my video on pledge number two, the one about the pursuit of happiness. And um, yeah, it was... It was a lot. I'm glad I did it. And when I finished the application and I hit that green submit button, I was like, wow, I had the coolest sense of accomplishment. I was like, I don't even, I don't even have to win. Like mm -hmm. I just did something and that was major. And, you know, of course the weeks passed and all that. And, you know, the deadline was coming up. So I was like, okay, I'll start paying attention to social media a little bit more. And, um, my that same best friend that told me about the scholarship to begin with 
ended up taking a screenshot of the list of winners and sending it to me at about 6 a.m. One morning, I was kind of awake, may have been earlier than that. So I pick up my phone, kind of look at them like, ah, I don't know what I'm looking at. Put my phone down and I was like, wait a second. I recognize that color scheme. And I look at it again. I'm like, holy crap, that's my name. That's my name on the list of winners. <laughs> like, I did it. <laughs> like, I did something. This is awesome. And, uh, yeah, I was I was kind of buzzing for a few weeks about that. And, oh, my word, it was so awesome. I'm like, they picked me. Yeah. Like, they picked me. They saw mm. something about what I did, and I got picked. In that moment when, you, when you're chosen... Could you see your horizons open up and your future to be a little bit brighter, even if you didn't know the final I, destination? Yes, I did a little bit, not to the extent, of course, that it has opened up, but that, again, that sense of accomplishment and then actually getting the thing that you were competing with other people for. Mm. Uh, I was like, wow, like it gave me an extra gave me an extra boost in school. I mean, I was very driven in school. I made some <laughs> proclamations before I started school where I said, I'm going to finish at the top of my class. I'm going to show up every day. I'm going to do all the work, no matter how crappy it is, because I have a goal that I'm getting to. So whatever exists between me right now in the present and my goal in the future is either it's getting run over or it's getting broken down, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And that, oh my word, that feeling was so awesome. I was like, wow, now I'm even more driven than I was before. So that was really cool. Amazing. That was an awesome feeling. More to come right after this. Chloe, tell us uh, about the work that you do today. So the work that I do today, I I'm predominantly a precision TIG welder. Um, I work for Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, it's a NASCAR team. Uh, kind of they're, they're the, the iconic NASCAR team. <laughs> it's uh, like the Eminem car, the FedEx car, the DeWalt car, the Bass Pro car. Um, we're 11, 18, 19, and 20. Um, I have done their, I was their first hire for their aerospace program. Um, they did decide to branch out into Joe Gibbs Aerospace. So we took on some uh, experimental aircraft projects, some military projects. Um, I have gotten to TIG weld on every series of car in NASCAR. I have gotten to TIG weld parts for F1 cars. I've done an NHRA funny car, the pro stock motorcycle. I welded the exhaust for actually won the championship at that race and, uh, a pro, just the pro stock cars for Jags and, uh, Erica Ender's team. Um, so I've done a little bit of everything, uh, and it's all because of this, this position it's. It's so funny how jaded you can get whenever you do this every day because you forget like how cool it is. Yeah. You just, I, I don't know. Like, if I'm not welding an aircraft part, I, it's like a, I get to weld NASCAR parts, and you know most people go their whole lives and they don't even know what the the inside of a NASCAR shop looks like. Right. You know, they it's it's such a such a blessing, such a luxury that I it's my dream. Are job. you one like, of the I've only always, women that does this? Yeah, actually, I'm the there's like 500 guys here. I'm the only girl. It's it's hilarious too because it's like uh, if someone forgets my name, I'm like, dude, how you forget the only girl's name? Like, come on, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not like another John, like right. But yeah, I'm I mean I'm the only girl here, and it's 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 funny. Uh, they're very faith based here, and you know I, I they've never really treated me like I was anything 
other than just a welder. And mm-hmm. so it's been, it's been great. It's been a, such a great experience here. And just another question for you. When, when you meet, um, well, in mentoring circles, there's this phrase that goes, you have to see her to be her. Meaning that as you grow up as a girl, if you see women doing a variety of different jobs, that gives you in your mind a vision that you might be able to do it in the future too. And I wonder if you've had any experience of younger girls going, oh, maybe I could do that as well. Yeah. So ironically enough, I didn't have social media. I I had just gotten social media probably four years ago, four or five years ago. Um, whenever I started this journey, I, I would never realize there would be backlash. Like my dad raised me like one of the boys, there was nothing off limits. I have two younger brothers and an older sister, but you know, I'm closer in age to my two younger brothers. And you know, if we practice ball, we practice baseball and it just made me a, a better softball player in the process, but it didn't, I never stigmatized and said that, Oh, girls do this and boys do that. And no one else around me did like, uh, even the guys that I hung out with, nothing was off limits. I, I didn't have that line in the sand that was drawn that I think a lot of women might have experienced. And, um, you know, I was always hyper feminine, but you know, I still did whatever I wanted to do. And my dad just had this, this very, the only hard line there was, was excellence. Like if you did something, you do it in pursuit of excellence. Like you don't do it half ass. You don't kind of commit yourself to it. You just go all in. And so that mindset going into this, I never imagined that someone would just assume that I wouldn't want to do it because of the, the way that I look or, or being a girl or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And even even when I went to school, there was no other girls. There was no one else who looked like me. There was there was nothing. The closest thing that you had was Jessie Combs. And to be honest, I didn't know who she was until about five years ago when I got into motorsports. And I, I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. So it's like, that's actually what prompted me to start my Instagram. Ironically enough was like, I need to be what I needed in the moment. I needed to understand that your identity is not lost just because of what you choose to do for a profession, that it absolutely does not box you in. It does not hold you to any standard. Like the only standard that you have is to yourself. Like the glass ceiling doesn't exist. Like, is it hard? Sure, it is. But you know what? It's a meritocracy at the end of the day. You can't deny me and my skills because it's black and white. The part is either good or it's not. And mm-hmm. that's something that I very much value with welding is that it is 100% a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. But it, it has been interesting how parents mostly, it's honestly not even young girls. It's mostly parents that reach out to me and they're like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you, you made this a little a bit of an easier pill to swallow that my daughter wants to do this mm-hmm. because I see someone that looks like her that, that can find success in it. And yeah. so that's and happiness. It's, it's, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. yeah. And happiness. And, you know, it takes a little bit of the fear out of it mm-hmm. because it's like, you know, because it is a be leap, of, right? Because a lot of people as oh, we, yeah. when we grew up um, that was like you will go to high school and then you will go to college. And then after college, then you will have this and that and the other. And a lot of people are finding that it's just not to be true or it's out of reach and it's not for them. And Tracy, could you tell us about what you do today? It's very interesting. And um, <laughs> also you went through um, a little bit of a hiccup during COVID. If you could tell people about that. I did. So I was finishing school. Uh, let's see, this was end of 2019 when I got my 
first job in electronics, I was working for a small company. Uh, I was involved a little bit with the Department of Defense, which was awesome to me. It was a really cool feeling to be able to do that. Uh, my dad is a 21-year Navy vet, so there was always a part of me as a kid that wanted to be Rambo. So uh, there were a lot of things I wanted to be when I was a kid. I wanted to be a sniper. I told my dad I was going to be the first female wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's my team. That's our team. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll talk to Terry Bradshaw yeah. about that. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, oh my goodness. I loved watching football with my dad and I thought, Ooh, I'm gonna do that someday. Um, yeah. So, um, what I, Oh, the hiccup that I ran into was, so I had, that job um i had that while i was in school so i was only working that part-time and then ended up applying for a job at uh, volvo mac trucks and got that job after a while it took about a little over a month for everything to go through and that job i thought oh my word this is awesome i did it like all this hard work paid off i'm going to retire from this company this is so rad i get to turn wrenches I'm underneath the trucks, I'm inside the engine bay, I'm in test cells, um, like I'm getting dirty and I love this. And I get to play with wires, I had these cool coworkers and all that stuff and that lasted six months. <laughs> so I had relocated from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania to Waynesboro, Pennsylvania and I worked in Hagerstown, uh, Maryland. So that was, it was just across the border. It was about 20 minutes away and uh, yes, Five months into it, they said, um, I think your job is in jeopardy here. So I wasn't part of the union at that point, and they had to let me go. So I kind of had a, about a month's heads up. And then two weeks into that, they said, yeah, we can't renew your contract. And my heart, it didn't fall into my shoes. Like it fell into my shoes and out the soles of my shoes and into the concrete floor that I was standing on. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I did all this work to get here. The interview for that job was the most stressful, one of the most stressful things I have ever done to date. <laughs> so um, it was hard. There was a written exam and a practical exam and all this electronics experience, a hundred years combined with the four guys sitting at the table mm. and little green me who was not even graduated from school yet. And so that was an awesome accomplishment to be able to get that job. That was really cool. And the microworks ethic, uh, the scholarship, uh, they said, put me head and shoulders above everybody else in the running besides my ability, which was super awesome. Um, but yeah, so that hiccup, uh, happened that was August of 2020. So I was unemployed from August of 2020 until December 4th, 2020, when I started here at Boeing. So I was applying for jobs. I wasn't even reading job ads. I was just shooting my resume off. I'm like, something has to stick. And I kind of remember applying for Boeing. I, I kind of remember seeing something about Maryland and I was like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. I need to work. And I, sent my resume off and got an email back that asked a bunch of questions. And one of the five questions was, are you willing to relocate? And I was like, yeah, sure. Sent the email off. And then <laughs> after I sent the email off, I went back to my phone and I was like, where the heck is Patuxent River, Maryland? I could barely pronounce the name. 
I was like, I thought it's Southern Maryland. I thought, you know, Maryland stops at Baltimore because I'd never been any farther south than that. So, uh, yeah, it does not stop at Baltimore. Found that out. <laughs> and <laughs> this, uh, this little piece of land exists down here. Um, but I absolutely, you know, at the time, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. So at the time I'm having conversations with God and I'm like, okay, first of all, what are you doing? Because I thought this was the job of all jobs. This was, you know, this is where I was going to land, retire from. I'm going to provide for my kids. We're going to be debt free. I'm going to show my kids how to do this thing. And then you pull the rug out from underneath my feet. Well, he was doing stuff like he does in the meantime. And I said, what could possibly be cooler than turning wrenches and playing with wires underneath the truck? And God was like, yeah, hold my beard. That mm. might offend some people. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then. He drops these spider jets in front of me. Mm. So I work on F-18s and it's, wow. oh my gosh, it's cool. Do you have to have a security clearance for that? Yes, I did. And so was that a complicated process? Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah, there was a lot to that. So you have to. Especially when it. you have to go through and you have to list all the addresses you've ever lived at in your life. And it's like, well, I don't even remember oh, the street word. names. And it's, and I moved so many times mm-hmm. and it was so much more involved than just the addresses. I was like, oh my word, this is taking forever. I made the mistake of starting that at like eight o'clock at night or something. And yeah, I saw 2 a.m. that day. We heard a little bit so, from Chloe about how her family, especially her dad and, and, and the support there. I'm wondering about your children. Um, I don't know how old they are now, but I'm sure they're very proud of you. I think, I think they are. They are 18 and 19 mm-hmm. now. And they're super cool kids. And what excited. do you think they'll do? I don't know. I keep telling them, trade school, let's have multi-generational winners of the micro scholarship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that would be awesome. (laughs) Um, Not sure what they're going to do. Uh, They are, I think they're going to be traveling soon Mm -hmm. here, I think. Good. Well, travel is a good way to explore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's what I told them. I said, you know, you're, you have no responsibilities right now. Go see the world and then figure out what you want to do. That's right. And you know um, what? They're so young. They'll be working for many, many years. They'll figure it out. Just yeah. just as you and oh, Chloe yeah. figured it out. And I'm so honored yeah. to meet you both. And I wonder if we could maybe wrap up by asking both of you, Chloe, I'll start with you. If you could talk about maybe some of the best advice you've been given or that you would like to give now that you've come up with on your own to either parents who are thinking about opening up the options and the possibilities without worrying about what other people will think for, you know, for their children or for themselves, if they want to make a career change. Well, I think that the the worst thing you could do is ever care about what anybody else thinks. Uh, I I mean, there's been times where I, I was kind of on a boat by myself and, you know, had to convince everyone around me that this wasn't the worst idea I've ever had. And uh, I, I think that <laughs> I've kind of embraced the motto that if it doesn't affect my pay, it doesn't affect my day. Um, so that's, that's the way that I really look at things. I, uh, I, I think, that, I mean, like most people say, time's going to pass anyways. So it's either you do something that you believe in, you can believe in yourself, you can try, or you can just keep doing the same old thing and being complacent and complaining. And you know what, ever since I took the leap, even in the worst, most trying times of my path, having that end goal and understanding the work that it took to get there 
was definitely the light at the end of the tunnel. And if you'd have told me five years ago that I would be here today, I'd have told you you're absolutely crazy. But it happened. And it happened because I took the chance. I didn't listen to anybody else. I got experiences on my own. And even if it was the hard path, I, I mean, I understood that I was capable of it. Like I was, I was capable of taking it and handling it. And I did. And it was great. And so you just got to get started. Don't wait till Monday to do it today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And Tracy, what about you? Advice that you would give either to your younger self or, or to parents out there today who are maybe are in your position with an 18 and 19 year old thinking about what do they want to do? Mm, advice I would give my younger self. Uh, I would tell my younger self to stop letting fear dictate my decisions. There were a few things that I wanted to do in my adult life that I was kind of talked out of and I was afraid of failing. That was one major thing, but you can't let that stand in the way. Um, you got to go for it. You have to take a chance. There's no reward without any risk. And to parents, I would say if your kids are younger, they're still at home and you still have that really heavy influence on them, notice what they're good at. Tell them what they're good at. Hey, you are really awesome at XYZ. Maybe you should consider this field later on in life or like do something that's going to prompt and spark the thing in them that they are supposed to be doing because we kids can't figure that out by themselves. They might. It might take the long and hard road like me going back to school when I was 36 years old. That was fun. Uh, <laughs> but really pay attention and see what your kids are good at and tell them really tell them kind of lay that road and that path out for them and then let them make their decisions. But when you tap into what your kid is good at and you tap into their heart, just then sit back and watch what they do. It's amazing when there were people in my life who were doing that, who were saying, do you know, you're really good at this? Do you know, you have this personality. That's just, it's magnetic. I didn't know any of that stuff until people really told me. And then once they did, I just, I've exploded into who I'm supposed to be. And life is so much more fulfilling like this. It's awesome. I saw the video. You, you were both in that video that micro recently did, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, super cute. Smart. Um, <laughs> I'd love to shake your hand one day. Uh, congratulations on your success. Thank you for opening uh, my eyes and others to all the other options and possibilities. And I'm just awed by how you turn things around for yourselves. And I thank you so much for being a part of the Everything Will Be Okay podcast. Everything will be okay. <laughs> yes, we have to believe and because it will be. We are educated American women. We can do it. All right, everybody take care. Thank you. Thank you. As the economy changes and we start to see the different types of jobs that are available, not just to jobs that might have been traditionally thought of as more for men, but for women across this country as well, the Mike Rowe Foundation is really something to take a look at, especially if you have graduates who aren't sure what they want to do. 
Tracy and Chloe are just two of the many examples who have been through the program, and they are two wonderful success stories. Mike Rowe has done incredible work, and we thank him for being a friend to Fox and to this podcast. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts, leave a rating and review. I'm Dana Perino. Everything will be okay. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.